Chapter 10a of The Shake. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by M.J. Frank. The Shake by E.M. Hull. Chapter 10a. The night grew hotter and the atmosphere more oppressive. Wrapped in a thin silk kimono, Diana lay very still on the outside of the wide couch in the inner room, propped high with pillows that the shaded light of the little reading lamp beside her might fall on the book she held, but she was not reading. It was Raoul's latest book that he had brought with him, but she could not concentrate her mind on it, and it lay idle on her knee, while her thoughts were far away. It was three months since the night that Saint-Hubert had almost given up hope of being able to save the sheikh's life, a night that had been followed by days of suspense that had reduced Diana to a weary-eyed shadow of her former vigorous self, and had left marks on Raoul that would never be effaced. But thanks to his great strength and splendid constitution, the sheikh had rallied, and after the first few weeks convalescence had been rapid. When the terrible fear that he might die was past, it had been a wonderful happiness to wait on him, with the determination to live for the moment to which she had forced herself. She had banished everything from her mind, but the joy of being near him and of being necessary to him. It had been a very silent service, for he would lie for hours with closed eyes without speaking and something that she could not master kept her tongue-tied in his presence when they were alone. Only once he had referred to the raid. As she bent over him to do some small office, his fingers closed feebly round her wrist, and his eyes, with a searching apprehension in them, looked into hers for the first time since the night when she had fled from his curses. Was it in time? he whispered slowly, and as she nodded with crimson cheeks and lowered eyes, he turned his head away without another word, but a shudder that he was too weak to control shook him. But the happiness of ministering to him passed very swiftly. As he grew stronger he managed so that she was rarely alone with him, and he insisted on her writing twice every day, sometimes with Saint-Hubert, sometimes with Henri, coolly avowing a preference for his own society or that of Gaston, who was beginning to get about again. Later, too, he was much occupied with headmen who came in from the different camps, and as the days passed she found herself more and more excluded from the intimacy that had been so precious. She was thrown much into the society of Raoul de Saint-Hubert. All that they had gone through together had drawn them very closely to each other, and Diana often wondered what her girlhood would have been like if it had been spent under his guardianship instead of that of Sir Aubrey Mayo. The sisterly affection she had never given her own brother she gave to him, and with the firm hold over himself that he had never again slackened, the Vicomte accepted the role of elder brother which she unconsciously imposed on him. It was hard work sometimes and there were days when he dreaded the daily rides, when the strain seemed almost more than he could bear, 
and he began to make tentative suggestions about resuming his wanderings. But always the sheikh pressed him to stay. Ahmed ben Hassan's final recovery was quick, and the camp soon settled down into normal conditions. The reinforcements were gone back to the different camps from which they had been drawn. There was no further need of them. Ibrahim Omer's tribe, with their leader dead, had broken up and scattered far to the south. There was no chief to keep them together, and no headman strong enough to draw them round a new chieftain, for Ibrahim had allowed no member of his tribe to attain any degree of wealth or power that might prove him a rival. So they had split up into numerous small bands lacking cohesion. In fulfilling the vow made to his predecessor, Ahmed ben Hassan had cleared the desert of a menace that had hung over it for many years. The relations between the sheikh and Saint-Hubert had gone back to what they had been the night of Raoul's arrival, before his candid criticism had roused the sheikh's temper and fired his jealousy. The recollection of the miserable week that had preceded the raid had been wiped out in all that had followed it. No shadow could ever come between them again, since Raoul had voluntarily stood on one side and sacrificed his own chance of happiness for his friends. And with the sheikh's complete recovery, his attitude towards Diana had reverted to the cold reserve that had chilled her before, a reserve that was as courteous as it was indifferent. He had avoided her as much as had been possible, and the continual presence of Saint-Hubert had been a barrier between them. Unostensibly, but effectually, he had contrived that Raoul should never leave them alone. Though he included her in the general conversation, he rarely spoke to her directly, and often she found him looking at her with his fierce eyes, filled with an expression that baffled her. And as each time the quick blood rushed into her face, his forehead drew together in the heavy frown that was so characteristic. During meals it was Raoul that kept the conversation from lapsing, with ready tact and an eloquent flow of words, ranging over many subjects. In the evening the men became immersed in the projection of Saint-Hubert's new book, for details of which he was drawing on the sheikh's knowledge, and long after Diana left them she could hear the two voices, both deep and musical, but Raoul's quicker and more emphatic, continuously rising and falling, till at last Raoul would go to his own tent, and Gaston would come, noiseless and soft-toned as his master. Ordinarily the sheikh dispensed with him at night, but since his wound, the valet, as soon as he had himself recovered, had always been in attendance. Some nights he lingered talking, and others the sheikh dismissed him in a few minutes with only a curt word or two, and then there would be silence and Diana would bury her face in her pillow and writhe in her desperate loneliness, sick with longing for the strong arms she had once dreaded and the kisses she had once loathed. He had slept in the outer room since his illness, and tossing feverishly on the soft cushions of the big empty bed in which she lay alone, Diana had suffered the greatest humiliation she had yet experienced. He had never loved her, but now 
he did not even want her. She was useless to him. She was less than nothing to him. He had no need of her. She would lie awake listening wearily to the tiny chimes of the little clock, with the bitter sense of her needlessness crushing her. She was humbled to the very dust by his indifference. The hours of loneliness in the room that was redolent with associations of him were filled with memories that tortured her. In her fitful sleep, her dreams were agonies from which she awakened with shaking limbs and shuddering breath, and waking, her hand would stretch out, groping to him, till remembrance came with cruel vividness. In the daytime, too, she had been much alone, for as soon as the shake was strong enough to sit in the saddle, the two men had ridden far afield every day, visiting the outlying camps, and drawing into Ahmed ben Hassan's own hands again the affairs that had had to be relegated to the headmen. At last Raoul had announced that his visit could be protracted no longer, and that he must resume his journey to Morocco. He was going up to Oran, and from there to Tangier, by coasting steamer, collecting at Tangier a caravan for his expedition through Morocco. His decision once made, he had speeded every means of getting away, with a dispatch that had almost suggested flight. To Diana his going meant the hastening of a crisis that could not be put off much longer. The situation was becoming impossible. She had said good-bye to him the night before. She had never guessed the love she had inspired in him, and she wondered at the sadness in his eyes and his unaccustomed lack of words. He had wanted to say so much, and he had said so little. She must never guess, and Ahmed must never guess. So he played the game to the end. Only that night after she had left them, the voices sounded in the adjoining room for a very short time, and this morning he and Ahmed ben Hassan had ridden away at daybreak. She had not been asleep, she had heard them go, and almost she wished Raoul back, for with his presence the vague fear that assailed her seemed further away. The camp had seemed very lonely, and the day very long. She had ridden with Gaston and hurried over her solitary dinner, and since then she had been waiting for the sheikh to come back. In what mood would he come? Since Raoul's announcement of his departure, he had been more than usually taciturn and reserved. The book she held slipped at length onto the floor, and she let it be unheeded. The usual stillness of the desert seemed to-night unusually still, sinister even, and the silence was so intense that the sudden squeal of a stallion a little distance away made her start with madly racing heart. Earlier in the evening a tom-tom had been going persistently in the men's lines, and later a native pipe had shrilled thinly in monotonous cadence, but she had grown accustomed to these sounds. They were of nightly occurrence, and they soothed rather than irritated her. And when they stopped, the quiet had become intensified to such a degree that she would have welcomed any sound. Tonight her nerves were on edge. 
she was restless and excited, and her thoughts were chaos. She was alone again, at his mercy. What would his attitude be? Her hands clenched on her knees. At times she lay almost without breathing, straining to hear the faintest sound that would mean his return, and then again, lest she should hear what she listened for. She longed for him passionately, and at the same time she was afraid. He had changed so much that there were moments when she had the curious feeling that it was a stranger who was coming back to her and she both dreaded his coming and yearned for it with a singular combination of emotions. She looked round the room where she had at once suffered so much and been so happy, with troubled eyes. She had never been nervous before, but to-night her imagination ran riot. There was electricity in the air which acted on her overstrung nerves. The little shaded lamp threw a circle of light round the bed, but left the rest of the room dim and the dusky corners seemed full of odd new shadows that came and went elusively. Hangings and objects that were commonly familiar to her took on fantastic shapes that she watched nervously, till at last she brushed her hand across her eyes with a laugh of angry impatience. Was the love that had changed her so completely also making her a coward? Had even her common sense been lost in the one great emotion that held her? She understood perfectly the change that had taken place in her. She had never had illusions about herself, and had never attempted to curb the obstinate self-will and haughty pride that had characterized her. She thought of it curiously, her mind going back over the last few months that had changed her whole life. The last mad freak for which she had paid so dearly had been the outcome of an arrogant determination to have her own way in the face of all protests and advice, and with a greater arrogance and a determination stronger than her own, Ahmed ben Hassan had tamed her as he tamed the magnificent horses that he rode. He had been brutal and merciless, using no half-measures forcing her to obedience by sheer strength of will and compelling a complete submission. She thought of how she had feared and hated him with passionate intensity, until the hatred had been swamped by love as passionate and as intense. She did not know why she loved him. She had never been able to analyze the passion that held her so strongly, but she knew deep down in her heart that it went now far past his mere physical beauty and superb animal strength. She loved him blindly, with a love that had killed her pride, and brought her to his feet, humbly obedient. All the love that had lain dormant in her heart for years was given to him. Body and soul, she belonged to him, and the change within her was patent in her face, the haughty expression in her eyes had turned to a tender wistfulness, with a curious gleam of expectancy that flickered in them perpetually. The little mutinous mouth had lost the scornful curve, and with the complete change in her expression she was far more beautiful now than she had ever been. 
but with her love was the fear of him that she had learned during her first hours of her captivity the physical fear that she had never lost even during the happy weeks that had preceded the coming of saint hubert and the greater fear that was with her always and that at times drove her with wide stricken eyes wildly to pace the tent as if to escape the shadow that hung over her the fear of the time when he should tire of her the thought racked her and now as always she tried to put it from her but it continued persistently haunting her like a grim spectre always the same thought tortured her he had not taken her for love no higher motive than a passing fancy had stirred him he had seen her had wished for her and had taken her and once in his power it had amused him to break her to his hand she realized all that and he had been honest he had never pretended to love her often when the humor took him he could be gentle as in those last few weeks but gentleness was not love and she had never seen the light that she longed for kindle in his eyes his caresses had been passionate or careless with his mood she did not know that he loved her she had not been with him during the long hours of his delirium and she had not heard what raoul de saint hubert had heard and since his recovery his attitude of aloofness had augmented her fear there seemed only one construction to put on his silence and his studied and obvious avoidance of her the passing fancy had passed it was as if the fleeting passion he had had for her had been drained from him with the blood that flowed from the terrible wound he had received he was tired of her and seeking for a means to disembarrass himself of her vaguely she felt that she had known this for weeks but to-night was the first time that she had had the courage to be frank with herself it must be so everything pointed to it the curious expression she had seen in his eyes and his constant heavy frown all confirmed it she flung her arm across her eyes with a little moan he was tired of her and the bottom had fallen out of her world the instinct to fight for his love that had been so strong in her the day that ibrahim omer had captured her had died with the death of all her hopes her spirit was broken she knew that her will was helpless against his and with the fatalism that she had learned in the desert she accepted the inevitable with a crushed feeling of hopelessness she wondered numbly what would become of her it did not seem to matter much nothing mattered now that he did not want her any more the old life was far away in another world she could never go back to it she did not care it was nothing to her it was only here in the desert in ahmed ben hassan's arms that she had become alive that she had learned what life really meant that she had waked both to happiness and sorrow the future stretched out blank and menacing before her but she turned from it with a great sob of despair 
it was on him that her thoughts were fixed how would life be endurable without him dully she wondered why she did not hate him for having done to her what he had done for having made her what she was but nothing that he could do could kill the love now that he had inspired and she would never regret she would always have the memory of the fleeting happiness that had been hers in after years that memory would be all that she would have to live for even in her heart she did not reproach him there was no bitterness in her misery she had always known that it would come though she had fenced with it shutting it out of her mind resolutely he had never led her to expect anything else there was no link to bring them closer together no bond between them if she could have had the promise of a child alone though she was the sensitive color flamed into her cheeks and she hid her face in the pillows with a quivering sob a child that would be his and hers a child a boy with the same passionate dark eyes the same crisp brown hair the same graceful body who would grow up as tall and strong as brave and fearless as his father surely he must love her then surely the memory of his own mother's tragic history would make him merciful to the mother of his son but she had no hope of that mercy she lay shaking with passionate yearning and the storm of bitter tears that swept over her hungry for the clasp of his arms faint with longing the pent-up misery of weeks that she had crushed down surged over there was nobody to hear the agonizing sobs that shook her from head to foot she could relax the control that she had put upon herself and which had seemed to be slowly turning her to stone she could give way to the emotion that suppressed had welled up choking in her throat and gripped her forehead like red-hot bands eating into her brain tears were not easy to her she had not wept since that first night when with the fear of worse than death she had groveled at his feet moaning for mercy she had not wept during the terrible hours she was in the power of ibrahim omer nor during the days that raoul de saint aubert had fought for his friend's life but to-night the tears that all her life she had despised would not be denied tortured with conflicting emotions unsatisfied love fear and uncertainty utterly unnerved she gave herself up at last to the feeling she could no longer restrain prone on the wide bed her face buried in the pillows her hands clutching convulsively at the silken coverings she wept until she had no more tears until the anguished sobs died away into silence and she lay quiet exhausted End of chapter 10a recording by mj frank portland oregon